0: Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. There's just so much to say about Christians and work. A few weeks ago, we devoted an episode of The Commentary to the topic of vocation, As soon as we finished that conversation, Cameron and I started talking about everything we'd left out. Consider this installment a follow-up. We're going to go back to the topic of work and offer what we hope will be practical guidance on how to bring faith to bear in your everyday calling. One of the revelations that I've had during the course of my ministry when it comes to the, the character and the nature of discipleship is this. If we're going to pursue discipleship as Christians, for most of us, that means pursuing discipleship in our work, because it's in our work that we spend most of our time. We have trained in school for our work, we devote much of our waking existence to our work. A lot of our sense of self-worth is tied up in our work, and so if we're going to be good disciples and pursue Christ, that's going to mean pursuing Him in our work. The question though is, what exactly does that look like? What, What would it mean to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ in your work? I think in the past, the way you would have answered this question would have been pretty simple. It would have meant something like, when I'm at work, I talk to people about Jesus. But is it really as simple as that? Is, is the only thing that we need to do to make our work Christian, to just christen it with a little bit of evangelism? Or is there more to it than that? Well, Cameron, these are some of the questions that have been swirling around <laughs> in my mind. Ever since a couple of weeks ago, we opened up the topic of vocation and calling. And in that episode, we discussed really like what to, do, what to do in terms of seeking God's direction for your work, and just talked really practically about uh, what to do if, if you're not sure that you're on the right path, uh, should you change it up, or should you stick with it? I think it would be interesting to go back to that topic, though and try to think a little more deeply about pursuing discipleship in our work. And it's something that you and I have both had to think about to one extent or another. Um, I want to start, Cameron, by asking you a question, which is this. In your work, because you, like me, have a sort of, let's say, divided work life, where <laughs> like, there's the work you've done to pay the bills, and then there's the creative work that, that your heart is really in where are some of the areas where, where you see the challenge when it comes to having to think about like, what does it mean to work as a Christian? Yeah.
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind is the question of, it's, it's almost, it's almost a, uh, a prerequisite question or an, or an earlier question of what kind of work should I be doing? Mm-hmm. So, and, and this is something I think a lot of Christians, especially in high school and college, get caught up with is that question of career choice. Right. Like, as a Christian, I know that while I'm called to love my neighbor, I'm called to you know, spread the gospel, like you said. So I should probably do a certain number of things, you know, and there are a certain number of professions, let's say, that seem maybe more loving to humankind or something like that. And and others that maybe I would only do if I'm just trying to make a lot of money or you know, or maybe it could get me in a sticky situation morally or something. So I'm gonna avoid that. For me personally, that has actually been a, a serious question. Like, what sort of work does it make sense for me to do? One, with my skill set, and then two, yeah, as a as a Christian. So So I had a lot of students when I was a teacher, I had a lot of students who would go into the medical field and I sensed that they, they knew that they could really help people through that choice. You know, like I can physically keep people alive and that's, you know, that's loving them. I, for one, work in marketing, you know, so right now I kind of actually have some tensions with this. Like, I think that marketing can do some good. I think that in a sense, it's, it's necessary to help businesses grow, and you can talk about it in that way. But there are aspects of the industry that, that I, I wrestle with. So
0: Sure. Uh, I think yeah. when you're working in marketing, it's always good to reflect that at least you're not a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. I think that, that's, that's often the challenge is, is that we find ourselves in fields that don't have that direct correlation. Like, it's not as easy to see how you're serving other people. Mm-hmm. And so what you end up doing is, is thinking more in terms of let's well, at least it's not as bad as that. Yeah. Right. And and so we're in this kind of uh, spectrum, I suppose, mm-hmm. where you can see, let's say doctors on one end who are clearly serving people and helping people. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, it's more of a, a who's harming people less kind <laughs> of thing and that's not illegitimate. You know, I, I right. think as, as Christians at a, a basic level, when it comes to choosing our path, we want to be conscious of the fact that, that human work is meant to not only uh, support us, but also enable us to have something to give to the world around us, that we're meant to be contributing and building up the world around us and the people around us. And so if you're meant to be serving people, then you know that you're not meant to be exploiting people. And so any kind of work that has you exploiting other people isn't really the kind of work you want to be doing. And it's not enough to say that yes, but I make enough money by doing this work that I can offset the damage, you know. I, I yes, my my work is exploitative, but I tithe on my earnings mm-hmm. and 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 I essentially purchase, I guess, the spiritual equivalent of a carbon offset, right? <laughs> That's not what the way to think about these things. Like we, we want to find ourselves in work that really does serve other people, doesn't exploit or take advantage of other people to the extent that we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, it, it's really worthwhile to expand our understanding of what service looks like so that we have the literal examples, but we also have uh, bigger examples. You know, I I always go back to um, one of these, for me, very mind boggling essays. It it was an address by uh, Calvin Searveld, who's a Christian philosopher, uh, really focused on aesthetics. And he was asked to give a commencement speech at, I think an award ceremony for uh, cosmetologists. (laughs) And I think this is back in the, the early 1960s. This was a really odd situation because you have a guy who's a, a you know a trained philosopher, and he's been asked to speak at a cosmetology convention, and and you wonder was there some confusion like you didn't understand like who you were inviting here, and you can easily imagine. You know, a philosopher finding himself in that situation, having a sort of sneering attitude towards the whole thing. It's a little bit beneath him as a philosopher to be talking to beauticians. And, mm. and, and his approach is so different than that. He looks at the nature of their work and he asks himself, how does this serve the human being? And he, he dis- discerns the way in which that work could be done badly. Uh, he talks about like the cult of beauty as almost a kind of uh, idolatrous pursuit. And then he contrasts that with the service of style. The, the idea of giving style to people, helping them present themselves in their best possible way, could be a way of serving them and, and essentially realizing their God-given potential. And, and that's what he focuses on. That yeah. You should see your work that way. Don't set up these unrealistic, uh, beauty ideals, but instead try to take every person where you find them and enhance their attributes so that they can, can be their best selves. And, and <laughs> immediately as you start thinking about it, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is a work that could be totally exploitative and superficial and shallow when approached one way. But, by seeing it this other way and and really leaning into the service, it can become something entirely different. And when you realize that, that's eye-opening, because you start to realize that that there's all kinds of work that could be transformed if only we were looking at them as a means of service and, and try to find the way that this particular work could serve. And for a Christian in any profession, I think that's very important that no matter what work you're doing, whether you are in your dream job or you're just in a temporary position as you're you know, hoping to find something that fits better, wherever you're at, you should be looking at that as a means of service. And the more that you do that, the more that you serve people, the more satisfying you may find that work to be. There's a lot of work that people do and love, even though there's no glamour attached to it and it doesn't necessarily pay well and all that. But because of the opportunity that it gives them to help other people and serve people, not just because you know they're saving lives, mm. but sometimes they're just making life a little better. And, and that's something they can appreciate as well.
1: Yeah. I worked in the specialty coffee industry for, for quite a few years, actually. And those were some of the most enriching years of my, my working life, because I truly felt like I, I was like connecting in that, that way, like really serving a great cup of coffee, you know, something. Right. And yeah. And I, and I get that though. I want to ask, I, it seems to me that Christians have a particular view of what it means to serve as well though. Right. So we wouldn't define service exactly like an atheist would, like maybe, maybe an atheist or, or you know, some other sort of religion would define like serving the human as one way, but we see humans as a particular way. So is there anything you can think of that would give more shape to that word service? Is it just like helping the person thrive or you
0: know what else is there? I think it is, but, but there's always a direction that you have to think about you know and and i think it's not bad when we're approaching the topic of work to think in terms of of structure and direction as two separate things like there's there's a an inherent way of serving in any kind of work but you also have to think about what is the trajectory like where does it lead people so we know that you know jesus says you know there there are two ways right there's a A narrow gate, and there's a a wide gate. The wide gate, the easy gate, leads to destruction. It's the narrow, hard one that leads to life. So not everything that that society says is helping people is actually helping them. And there are a lot of things now that we see as helping as a society that Scripture would say, no, that's actually... Leading people to destruction—that's actually a kind of exploitation. So it's not as easy as just saying, you know, d- just do whatever work gives you a warm and fuzzy. Sometimes the the kind of work that really helps people and serves people isn't what society looks at as as you know the helping serving. Right. However. Just as a general rule, like I'm saying, in any kind of work, you can find a means to serve, and in any kind of work, you can discern like that that way of serving rightly, you know that, that turning it towards the direction of life. If you can't, I don't think it's an appropriate form of work. You know if, if you find yourself in a job, in a profession, and you literally cannot find the way to serve. Like, it just seems like it's inherently exploitative, inherently destructive. I mean, these are red flags, sure. right? You should definitely be looking for other work. Yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons to leave jobs behind. You know, I said in our episode a few weeks ago, you know, don't just hit the reset button, you know, stick with it and build something. But of course, there are situations where you should totally bail. And when you find yourself in work that is destructive to self or to others, that's exploitative, you should definitely bail on that work, find other work. If you you find yourself in work that demands everything from you and suddenly you have no time for family, you have no time for church, you have no time for anything but work, you should find something else and and allow yourself to kind of choose a path that, that leads to thriving and not just being consumed by work. So you don't want to do work that's destructive, but you also don't want to be tied to any kind of work that that is destructive to you or your family. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about like the way the way businesses in general talk about their products and services as meeting some like market need, you know? Right. Like there's always there's always some need out there that we're going to meet and that by definition becomes well, we're serving the customer, you know, I think pretty much every business would talk in that way, like they're meeting this need. Yeah. I guess something that I've been thinking about a lot, though, especially just working in marketing and being the person behind like these products that we're we're selling, is to think how this product might actually be used by the by the customer or how what is this service doing for the for the human on the other side, and then there's the deeper questions that's almost beyond my control about like what are they going to do with the product or service you know and I've actually been listening to to uh Andy Crouch just came out with a new book and and he's he talks a lot about this how how technology of course has made a lot of things very efficient and easy and our smartphones have made our lives simpler and in that sense have served us but in many other ways have dehumanized us at the same time. And that, that's what I'm getting at is, you know, Apple might be thinking that they're serving the human race by making this incredible device. And, and they have in some ways, on the other hand, it's had lots of terrible side effects too. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not really getting at any answers here, just trying to draw attention to the fact that Serving is is complicated, you know. And, sure. And even sure. I, I and I'm not disagreeing with you either, but I want to do the the most that I can to make sure that the work that I'm doing is actually serving, as far as I can control that.
0: Yeah. So I think this really touches on one of the challenges of working in a fallen world. Yeah. Which is that all of the virtues and all of the ideals that we pursue we will only ever achieve to a certain extent and that even our good deeds come with unintended consequences and and that's a given in life under the sun and we're not yeah. going to escape that by approaching work the right way and there's not a a christian formula for doing work that does not have those problems attached to it. That's something that, that we do have to deal with mm-hmm. as human beings. And so I think there is a very Pauline sense, and it, it's one that's picked up in in uh, Albert Camus' novel, The Plague. You know, Paul talks about living a life void of offense towards God and man. He talks about striving for that kind of a life. So he's minimizing offense. He knows there's offense, but he's, he's striving to live a life that is as free of that as possible. There's a character in the plague, Teru, who talks about his desire to live his life in such a way that he victimizes as few people as possible. <laughs> you know, so again, yeah. this, is, this is kind of a, a, a way of holding to virtue in a fallen world. And I think as Christians, we want to acknowledge that fallenness and, and recognize that even our best efforts are gonna face these challenges. But realizing that is not an excuse to just sort of shrug and say, hey, it's a fallen world, you know, you gotta exploit. <laughs> this is the way it works, you know. Right. We live in interesting times, you know, you think about it, where churches talk a lot like businesses. And businesses talk a lot like churches. <laughs> You know, it's fascinating to me how many churches and and pastors, when they speak, sound like entrepreneurs selling a product, representing a brand. Hmm. And at the same time, how many entrepreneurs there are that are out there talking about their brand as if it's some sort of a religious enterprise changing the world, saving the world, you know, that, Hmm. that a lot of the hyperbole overlaps what I would counsel people to do is step back from the hyperbole and and not think so much of the world and just think more of the neighborhood. and just think more of the, the sphere of influence where God has placed you and the kind of work that he's given you to do. And in a very Ecclesiastes sense to find satisfaction in the work that he's given you to do and to do it to the best of your ability and to serve to the best of your ability to avoid exploitation to the best of your ability and to live as faithfully as you can. That is the path that God has given us to pursue discipleship in work.
1: Okay, so let's see if I can summarize where we've come. The first point is something like, make sure your work doesn't exploit people. You know, Don't choose a path of work that necessarily exploits if, if you can um two find a way to look at your your work as a means of serving so whether you're doing somebody's hair serving a cup of coffee or sending an ad email right <laughs> as a as a way of serving the the person on the other side and then that last point that you just made is is maybe Minimize your scope a little bit or, or or maybe try to serve the people in your immediate vicinity with your work. Is that what you're getting at there?
0: Yeah. Or, or maybe like focus on real service, not hype. Hmm. That we have a way of hyping things, especially now, where every little thing we do is, is earth shattering disruption, <laughs> you know, on an epic scale. Yeah. And And it doesn't need to be that. It can just be everyday acts of service. The, the key being, because we do live in a fallen world, that we need to strive to make that service real and not imaginary. You know, it's not just service in, in word, but, but actually in deed. And yeah. so your work serves, but not necessarily in the way that the, the marketing guy for your profession would say that it serves. Like yeah. you might have to find your own way of pursuing service in your work. And that's okay to, to discern that can be part of your discipleship. So, so yeah, I think with the acknowledgement that, that all of this is being pursued in, in this fallen world, we are you know, looking for work where we can serve and not exploit. And we realize we may have to, to hack that a little bit from a Christian point of view. That we can't just take it as given in the world, that we may have to adjust things in order to make it service in a Christian sense. So with that in mind, I think um, there's probably a few more things we could say about work as discipleship. So, so one thing I think that really does need to be said is that that work as discipleship doesn't mean finding a way to sneak Jesus into the workplace. That it's not about looking for opportunities to like, share the gospel in the break room or whatever. Nothing against that. And, and developing relationships at work and being able to talk about those things is, is wonderful. But that's not the extent to what we can do when it comes to pursuing discipleship at work the famous <laughs> quote by martin luther about the cobbler and how you know he can serve christ best by making good shoes mm-hmm. you know i think is one that we need to take seriously yeah. that,
1: not by putting little crosses on them right isn't exactly, that what he says
0: exactly yeah. that that um we do the most service in our work as Christians by doing that work really well, by doing it to God's glory. I think that's one of those points people can easily overlook, that in your work, you really are called to excellence, that you really are called to do your work well, you know, to commit yourself to it wholeheartedly, regardless of what it is. Don't phone it in. Don't do a bad job do the work that you have been given to do to the best of your ability for God's glory as a way of, of representing him, that is part of discipleship. And, and it makes sense if you think about it this way. We're told when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Right? That we can serve God best by serving human beings who are made in his image. When we do our work exceptionally well, we do it to, let's say, the, the, the closest we can get to the God-given ideal of how this work is meant to be done. That glorifies God just in, in the fact that we were able to, to, to do that, to sacrifice, to make that happen, that we saw that it was worthwhile to do before his eyes. That's all giving glory to him but also it represents to everyone who witnesses it a kind of excellence that gives glory to him as well. So as as weird as it sounds, part of your calling as a Christian is to do that work well. If your job is to to be a receptionist and to to answer phones or emails, uh handle that sort of communication, doing that exceptionally well, is an essential part of your discipleship Hmm. like doing that work perfecting kind of your abilities like like, like bringing all your talents to it seeking additional training really devoting yourself to figuring out how this work is best done all of that is discipleship Hmm. just doing that is a way of following jesus to me that's kind of mind-blowing and Again, the, the contrary is convicting, that when you just punch the clock and you just do the bare minimum and you do your job so as not to get fired or not to call attention to the fact that you're not doing it very well, um, that's not discipleship. That's not just dishonoring to the boss. It's dishonoring to the Lord. So you can see kind of in both ways how in a positive sense, when we do our work well, we're pursuing Christ. And in a negative sense, when we do it poorly, we're, we're not pursuing him in our work.
1: I said that I worked in coffee for a while. Some of my early years, I was, uh, these were actually during the days, during my evangelism class, which we've talked about on, on the right. podcast. So I was taking this evangelism class and working at a coffee shop and I was that guy looking to have a conversation with my coworker about Jesus. And I I don't look back on that with regret. I don't think it was all bad. I think I I really cared about them, but there were times where I was totally distracting them (laughs) from Mm -hmm. doing their jobs well, and I was probably not doing my actual job well because I thought that I was prioritizing the more important thing. By sharing, you know, getting in this conversation about, about Jesus, which again is good, but there was something often that I felt like I could sacrifice the quality of my work and probably the quality of, you know, the coffee going out to the customers and all of that for the sake of something spiritual. And, yes. and that just is, is an immature view. I think what you're saying is it actually might have served both my coworkers and, of course, the customers better. And maybe myself, well, if I would have just made the,
0: made the coffee really well. <laughs> yeah, like think about it this way. It, it doesn't have to be either or. But yeah. when people put a Jesus fish on their car, I always hope they drive really well, <laughs> yeah. very considerately, right? Because if they don't, if they drive like everybody else, then the fact that they have that symbol brings disrepute to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were at Presbytery recently, we were about to go out to dinner in uh, the town that it was being hosted. And I promised the pastor there, if we get into any trouble, we'll tell them we're Lutheran. <laughs> so they don't think it was the Presbyterians who came to town and, and, and acted up. And, and that's kind of a similar idea. Like, like If you're in your profession representing Jesus, then I hope you're also pulling out all the stops to do your work really well to support your coworkers really well in their work so that you're not detracting from the message that you're putting out there. There's nothing worse I think than telling people, "Hey, let, let me talk to you about Jesus" when you're also, you know, the the weak link in the chain and the one that everybody else is having to, to kind of pick up the pieces from because you're focused on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not a question of, of saying hey don't talk about jesus just do a good job you know i'm not saying that what i'm saying is there's a time and place for everything you know people alluding to ecclesiastes but there's a time and place for everything but but it is essential that we do our work well and that we do our work in such a way that, that it brings honor and glory to god and on top of that we can pursue these these more overt opportunities to, whether it's overt opportunities to serve people in particular needs, or to serve people by sharing grace with them in whatever the variety of ways that yeah. Yeah, that we can do that, so all of that to me is on the table. It's just that we've got to start with a a really clear view of how we pursue discipleship at work. We want to be really deliberate about doing our work well. For the honor of that
1: so that gets to something we haven't talked about as much, which is the question of my capacities and my own skills. It seems if my goal is to do something really well that serves others, I have to be capable of doing that thing very well. so would you say that's that's kind of the those are the criteria that I should keep in mind when I'm thinking about a career in in college. I should think about something that I'm good at, or I have skills that that can achieve that sort of excellence that serves others, or, or what else do I, do I consider as I'm thinking about careers?
0: I do think that you want to start with some sense of your gifting. Because usually we start with the dream mm-hmm. and the suitability of the candidate is is farther downstream. <laughs> you know, and a lot of us are, are kind of led by dreams, are led by our sort of idealized sense of of who we could be. And instead of that, I think you want to start with kind of an assessment like where could I do the most good? Considering my particular strengths and gifting, where could I make the most impact using these gifts? And if you ask yourself questions like that, whether it comes to like the question of choosing a profession or just figuring out how to get ahead in your chosen profession, I think that will get you a lot farther than being led by like dreams or ambition. Like if if you are, are doing an honest assessment of where you can help and then plugging yourself in in those places where you make the most impact, um, that's really extraordinary there's there's a i don't want to transition after i was just criticizing businesses for talking <laughs> like churches to giving you advice from business books but <laughs> there is an example that um i think in one of peter drucker's books that has always stuck with me that that relates to this and it's one of these you'll get immediately why this is stuck in my head because it, it gets to you know military history he, he's talking about the difference in the way that Abraham Lincoln chose generals and Rari Lee Hmm. chose generals. He said that Lincoln chose men devoid of weakness and Lee chose men because of their strengths. That all of Lee's generals had extraordinary weaknesses but also extraordinary strengths. Whereas Lincoln had more of a eliminate the risks approach. Hmm. Who are the safest guys to, to hand power over to? And so it took a long time for the Union Army to finally find the right leader because it had to go through a lot of these safe but not strong options. And the takeaway from that was, if if you're looking for the place to serve, don't look for the place where, you know, kind of, I don't know, you do the least harm, (laughs) but look for the place where you do the most good. You know, where the the strength that you do have can have the most impact. It's one of the things, practically speaking, in a church environment. You know, I as a pastor have this challenge of trying to encourage people to serve in areas where their strengths can really be brought to bear. But that means trying to figure out what those gifts are. Some people have a strong sense of their own gifting. Other people don't have that. Mm. Some people have a strong sense, but not an accurate one. And so you're constantly trying to find the right fit. You know, where is the the place where you can serve? And it's satisfying to you, but it also has a benefit to those around you, and it's a good fit for your abilities. And I think that's true not just in church, but just in, in work in general you may aspire to be a doctor you know a surgeon or whatever but if you don't have the the right aptitude and skill for that you'd be better off doing something that does fit with your abilities yeah
1: yeah that was that was my hunch and i think that's why we we need our brothers and sisters in the church as well to to be serving alongside us and speaking into our lives hey you're pretty good at this thing or hey i noticed that this comes naturally for you or or, hey you're you're not very natural at that Right, right and and guiding us to help us find you know what god gave us so that we can use it and and serve alongside them so that has at least been really helpful for me because like those examples you gave some sometimes i don't always see things the way I should or I want I really want something to be the case for me that ambition thing or that dream right maybe in reality it's just not there and I should just focus on something else that would actually serve others more and probably be more satisfying for me anyway
0: we've all grown up on a steady diet of follow your dream you know whatever you want to do you can do you can achieve anything you've heard all of these messages and we know on some level that that's not true, but at the same time, giving up on that way of thinking can feel like a defeat. And so it can be difficult for people. And, and, and oftentimes we try to have it both ways. You know, so we tell ourselves we're going to be realistic, but secretly we harbor these dreams. You know, it, it's the. The dilemma of every artist i think because you know realistically you're not going to make much money if any pursuing art that people essentially have to be famous in order to break even but you tell yourself you might be different and that that maybe what's true for everyone else won't be true for you we all do that in every area of life and so it's important for us i think that to develop a, a less romanticized view of things but also to find that in that more realistic picture there's actually great satisfaction you know again going back to the book of ecclesiastes there is this recurring theme that there is meaning and satisfaction in the work of our hands that god has given us work in order to have this this sense of fulfillment even in a fallen world and so work is good and it's been given to us so that we might serve others and feel a sense of satisfaction in that work so all of that is good but we need to pursue it without the, the romantic notions and without the, the egotistical hmm. <laughs> considerations that so often cloud our thinking about how to do our work Thanks for listening to The Commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org.